You're listening to The Mystic Show, episode 139. Welcome, everyone. I'm glad you can join me here on The Mystic Show. My name is Chris Curran, and this is the show where we talk about, sometimes I call it, the unseen and otherworldly. And it's about spirituality, mindfulness, meditation, all the really important, most important parts of our life that we rarely talk about. We're so busy with our jobs and earning money and running around like crazy. We don't get to this topic. So that's the purpose of this show. So you and I can talk about this, these topics, hear these topics, sort of slowly ingest all this good information. We release new episodes every Friday morning, very early, uh, 4 a.m. Eastern time, actually. (laughs) So that's 1 a.m. Pacific time. Um, You can hear us as a podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn Radio. And our website, of course, which has all of our episodes, all 139 of them now, is themysticshow.net, themysticshow.net. And we have a really cool audio giveaway. You can sign up for our behind-the-scenes email list and get a really cool piece of audio called Relax with Rumi. I selected Rumi quotes and read them over relaxing music, uh, and it came out really good. So join our behind-the-scenes email list, and you'll get some behind-the-scenes info and, and a, access to that audio as well. And this episode, we have a truly amazing guest, Bruce Lipton. He's the best-selling author of The Biology of Belief and some other books as well, Spontaneous Evolution, and his newest book, The Honeymoon Effect. He's the recipient of the 2009 Goy Peace Award. And by the way, I just have to say, before I finish Bruce's introduction, that I feel that Bruce is a modern-day mystic because he's incorporating science and spirit in a just a completely exploratory way, open to learning from any and every direction, just open-minded. And, and come on, when if you're into spirituality at all, you have to be open-minded. Um, and plus, he's not afraid to speak about it either. So he's been a guest speaker on basically a zillion TV and radio shows, and he began his career as a cell biologist. And I read The Biology of Belief a few years ago, loved it, and I just read The Honeymoon Effect. So Bruce Lipton, welcome to The Mystic Show. Chris, I thank you so much for this opportunity, and I'm so happy to be here because uh, you have a wonderful audience of cultural creatives, people thinking outside the ordinary box, looking for answers, Uh, and this is what is required at this very extraordinary time on this planet because uh, while we look at all the crises going on, everyone's like, oh my God, freaking out over everything from economics to climate change to healthcare, Uh, people don't realize that all of those individual crises are part of one major crisis, and that is uh, we are not sustainable <laughs> as a planet. The little thing like that, yeah. uh, that science has recognized we're going extinct and that we, the human population, is responsible for this uh, extinction process because we misunderstood our relationship to the planet and who we are and what we are. Uh, And so for me, this is a very exciting time because it's a wake-up time. It's a new world coming. It's an evolution. We're on a threshold of an upheaval of planetary life. And uh, and while it looks kind of scary right now, the, the beautiful part about it, Chris, is that we are moving into an exciting new future, a, a world that we can't even imagine right now. And it's just uh, in front of us a few years. It's going to happen right right now. Right? It's so exciting. And, and as you said, the world is sort of, the way the world is working now, it's not sustainable. Would you, do, you also, do you also think spiritually in individual people's lives that the way they're living, like as far as being in fear and everything, that's not sustainable for them personally? 
I, absolutely. If you continue that process of living in fear uh, uh, and being afraid of this world, uh, that is the primary reason for the massive health care crisis that we are now facing. It turns out uh, up to 90 percent of doctor visits are, are due to stress. And I said, well, what's stress? Stress is anything that seems to get in the way of your destination or your desires and your wishes. And like, well, like uh, right now, the planet is filled with stress. And, and a lot of it has to do with people not knowing who they really are. Uh, and I have to say this. Uh, let's just start off with a very basic premise. Uh, I became a scientist because uh, when I was very young, uh, I heard so-called truth. Let's put that in quotes. Truth from spiritual people and from scientific people. And what was interesting was, while the truth from spiritual people, all the words were really beautiful and, oh, that sounds really nice and all that, uh, the lives of these people never matched their words. <laughs> so mm. at some point as a kid, it's sort of like, well, those are nice words, but nobody's living it. Uh, and I, I let go of spirituality and I became a scientist saying, no, uh, we can understand the world through science. By the Sign way, by, yes. Bruce, by spirituality, do you mainly mean religion? Oh, God, no, I don't want to even talk about oh, religion. Oh, okay, okay, just checking. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 religion, uh, from my point of view, personal uh, assessment of religion, it's the business of spirit, uh, and it's a manipulation, and uh, it's quite unfortunate because if everyone really understood the nature of spirituality, it doesn't mean, oh, okay, throw out Christian religion, uh, uh, you know, throw out uh, any uh, of the... Um, thoughts or, or, or things attributed to Jesus. It's like, no, man, listen to what the guy has to say. Just don't put a business behind it. <laughs> and, and we got something going. Right, and the right. issue is the evolution that we're facing. And, and it's, it's interesting because I said I was a scientist. I, I didn't believe in spirituality. Mm. But the deeper I went into the system, the deeper I went into the cells, when I got down to the nitty gritty of the molecules of the cells, the DNA and all the proteins and everything, it was at that place that I was blown away out of my, I mean, it was a, 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 like getting hit by lightning. Uh, I was a non-spiritual person, and, uh, and I was working on understanding the cell, and I got this understanding of how the cell worked, uh, a mechanism, a physical scientific mechanism. And I looked at that mechanism, and I said, oh, my God, if you understand this mechanism, then you will understand that our identity, who we are, is not even in the cell. It is picked up. Our identity is picked up by a set of small little protein antennas, just like imagine nano television antennas on the top of a cell, and that each of us has a different set of antennas. When uh, I say, well, what are, they, what are they called? Well, in science, they're called self receptors. Receptors are proteins that receive signals. Self-receptors uh, would be proteins that receive signals of self. Conventional science doesn't uh, look at the receptors and antennas. They just look at them as physical markers of identity. No two people have the same set of antennas on their cells. Uh, and this is why when they want to transplant an organ, they do something called tissue typing. And what that means is this, they look at the self-receptors on the receiver, the one who's going to receive the organ, and then they try to match a donor uh, to have as many of the same receptors as the recipient. In other words, let's just say just there's 20 receptors, like a 20-number combination lock. Just consider that, 20 numbers. Mm. And I say, well... Some of us can share numbers but not have the same combination. Right. <laughs> so basically, what it says is this, is when they look at a donor, they look and see how many of those combination numbers match the recipient. The more that match the recipient, the closer the identity is between the cells so that the immune system, if there's no match at all, the immune system will rapidly remove the transplanted organ as not self. Mm. But if you get enough receptors that overlap between the donor and the recipient, then the aggression of the immune system is reduced. Uh, while the immune system may ultimately re eliminate these cells, it's not an aggressive, like, get rid of this organ now. <laughs> so it allows an opportunity 
opportunity for the transplanted organ to help and, and maintain the individual. So I say, okay, why is this relevant? And I go, well, on the surface of the cells, we have these antennas. And I say, well, uh, and if I get a good match, a close match, then that's a perfect uh, donor to recipient because the recipient won't reject it very fast. Uh, and then I go, well, this is really interesting. And then I say, well, here's a very much more interesting one. If I take these antennas and use an enzyme and cut them off the surface of the cell so that it's a cell, it's a human cell, but the receptors that give it identity are gone, it becomes, this is important, a generic human cell. Meaning, if you take the self-receptors off of somebody else's cells, you can transplant that cell into any human. It's a human cell. Mm. But when you put the self-receptors back on, all of a sudden it becomes Bruce's stem cell or Chris's stem cell. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden it's got identity. So we're going, oh, okay. So I'm looking at the understanding of the mechanism of the cell and the nature of these receptors. And then it dawns on me and says, oh my God, this, these self-receptors are antennas. They receive an environmental signal that two cells could be the same type of cells, like two liver cells, Chris's liver cell, Bruce's liver cell. They're both liver cells, okay? But one's Chris's and one's Bruce's. And I say, well, what's the difference? Well, on the surface of your cells, Chris, you have a set of antennas that is specifically a combination to your identity. And on mine, I have a different set of antennas. And I go, okay, uh, then where's the difference coming from? You say the antennas. And I go, yeah, yeah, but here's the important part. The antennas receive a signal just like a television antenna receives a broadcast. I go, wait a minute. Then the identity of Chris's cells and Bruce's cells, yeah, they're marked by the proteins. Yeah, but the, the real identity is the environmental signal that is picked up by the proteins. You, as an identity, are a broadcast, like a television broadcast being picked up by your cells. Your, your body is a television set. My body's playing the Bruce show. <laughs> Chris's body's playing the Chris show. And your body out there is playing your own show. I say, well, okay, okay, with relevance. I go, look, let's say you're watching a TV program and the TV set breaks. And we say, oh, the TV's dead. I go, okay, the TV's dead. Question, question. Did the broadcast die when the TV died? <laughs> you go, no, the broadcast's still there. So how do you know? You say, well, I get another TV and I tune it to the same station and voila, it's back on the air. And I go, ah, the human body is like a biological television set. It's playing a program being broadcast and being received by your antennas. And as you have your life, you are connected to this body. But if the body dies, it doesn't mean the signal in the environment that was being picked up by the body died. It's still there. And so that your identity, even if your physical body died like the television, your body may be gone, but the broadcast is still there. Relevance? Well, you're there. <laughs> you're right. still there. And then I say, yeah, but what? And I say, a future embryo shows up and happens to have the exact same combination of antennas. And guess what? You're back on air again, but in a different body. Mm. Does it have to be a male body or female? No, that's the television set. White body, red body, brown body. What? No, no, no. That's the television set. You are the broadcast who plays through the television set. Right. What hit me at that one moment was because I'm not spiritual. It's like instantaneously in one minute, I went from totally not spiritual to, oh my God, of course it has to be. Why? My broadcast is an energy field. It stays there, and my body is connected to it while it's here. But when my body dies, the broadcast is still here. Another body shows up with the same antennas, and I'm back, right. but in a different life experience. So all of a sudden, here's a guy who's not spiritual. And then one minute after understanding the nature of how the membrane worked, where these receptors are, it said, oh, my God. Uh, I, I'm immortal. Yeah. I'm, I'm not in here. And I had a very funny experience at that moment because look, I spent some 40 years not being spiritual. Uh, and then now all of a sudden in one minute I say, Oh, okay. I'm spiritual and I have a body. And then the question that was real intriguing on my mind at that moment, Chris was, well, why have a, a body and a spirit? Why not just be the spirit? Mm -hmm. And when I asked that question, the 50 trillion cells, the 50 trillion amoebas that make up my body and make up your body, all bodies are made up of about 50 trillion cells. 
this population of cells, I asked the question, why have a spirit and a body? And I could hear the cells rumbling with an answer that hit me in the head. And I had to laugh because it was so funny and so profound. Uh, so here's what it was. I asked a question. So I, I think I have Jewish cells because I asked a question and the cells responded with a question. So uh, here's what I asked. Why have a spirit and a body? Why not just be a spirit? And here's what the cells asked me. Bruce, if you're just a spirit, what does chocolate taste like? Hmm. And think about that for a second. And what I realize is, oh, oh my God, a spirit is awareness. It's an energy. It's a field. It's a broadcast. It's an energy. But a body is a device that translates energy into different senses, sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, emotions such as love, fear. I say, where do, where do those experiences come from? I say, well, the cells in your body respond to the environment and translate that environment into uh, vibrations. That's what the brain sees. In other words, you may taste chocolate. But I say, well, does that mean there's a chocolate taste that goes into my brain? I go, no, no. The taste buds in the tongue translate chocolate into vibrational frequency of chocolate and send the vibrational frequency to the brain. So the brain is is what? Reading the environment, not like eyes where it sees light. The brain doesn't see a picture. It sees a bunch of vibrations. It doesn't smell chocolate or taste chocolate. It has a bunch of vibrations. It doesn't know love other than the chemistry, which is vibration. So what does it mean? And this is the cool part. It said to me, is, oh my God, that the, the, the idea of having a body is to have experiences, to sense things, to smell things, touch things, feel things, taste things, see things, all these wonderful, have feelings of, of joy and happiness or fear, pain. I say, well, all those experiences are the body translating the world into a vibration, and that vibration goes back to source, which is a vibration. So in other words, the body, this is cool, is a virtual reality suit. You, <laughs> yes, you step into it, and all of a sudden, the spirit can see, the spirit can smell, the spirit can touch. When the body is dead, it doesn't mean that the memory is gone, because those are vibrations. So that every time you come in your body, you have experiences which are translated as vibrations and they go back to the source. And then you add one last thing. And I go, okay, the spirit comes into the body, so it doesn't just receive information from the body, such as what chocolate tastes like. But the spirit can drive the body and say, go left, go over there, do this, do that. And all of a sudden you say, oh my God. So the spirit drives the body around and the experiences of the body while being driven around are sent back to the source. A, a summary, a very quick summary, Chris, uh, mm. is we can't go to Mars, but we sure as heck would like to know, what is it like to live on Mars? I said, well, how do I know what it's like to live on Mars? I can't get there. I said, oh, I sent up a thing called the Mars Rover. And you look at this little rover, it's like a really fancy go-kart with all kinds of <laughs> antennas and things. And I go, well, it looks like a strange go-kart, but it is the equivalent of a human. In what regard? Well, when it lands on the planet, guess what? It has eyes to see. It's got uh, receptors to hear, smell, taste, feel the temperature. Give me insight. And I say, okay, so how does it work? I say, well, the rover lands on Mars. The guy at NASA sends a signal to the rover. He's like the source. The guy at NASA is the source. The rover is like a body, an equivalent of a human on Mars. Yeah, but who's driving it? Oh, the source back on Earth who's sending a signal, and there's an antenna on the rover that picks up the signal. It says, drive left, drive right, do this. And I say, and what happens while the vehicle, the rover's driving? Well, all the receptors on the rover, the cameras and all the sensory receptors, are picking up information. And what are they doing? It Sending it back to the guy at NASA. So the guy at NASA is driving the vehicle around, but also can say, wow, it's really cold out here. Look at what the temperature is. And, <laughs> oh, look at what this is, you know, the air is made out of and all that stuff. And I go, so what's relevance? Right. The human body, this is so cool because it's a summary. It's like the human body is the equivalent of an earth rover that our source, wherever it is, sends a signal. That's our spirit. 
It's picked up by our human body, by the antennas. The spirit drives it around here and there. <laughs> go do this and go do that. And then I say, and what happens? While we're driving the vehicle around, our sight, our sound, our smell receptors, our taste receptors, our emotion receptors, they're sending the signals back to the source. So spirit is, is having an experience. It will remember the experience. If the rover dies, it still has the experience. So you go, so what did I conclude that? blew my mind, Chris, mm. and it's this. Bottom conclusion. A, I didn't believe in spirituality. All of a sudden, B, of course there's spirituality. <laughs> I'm the broadcast being sent to the vehicle. And then the cosmic joke of all cosmic jokes. We have been programmed to believe that if we have a very good life on this planet, when we die, we shall go to heaven. And I go, so what's heaven? <laughs> well, every individual's got their own little personal idea of what heaven is. That's their little personal creation. And I go, well, that's interesting. Where did you get an idea of heaven? Well, you have an idea of life on earth, and you pick all those things you like and say, I would like that for my heaven. And then I go, okay, here's the joke, the big joke. We all thought that we die and go to heaven. Consider this. You were born into heaven. You were born to come into this body to do what? To create. To create what? Heaven. Right. <laughs> you came here and you say, yeah, but this place doesn't look like heaven. Look at all the war, the crime and all that. And I go, yeah, but other people have created that and you bought into it. <laughs> and once you bought into it, you bought their version of heaven. And uh, or, well, that's not their version of heaven, their version of so-called reality. Right. And I go, why is it relevant? Well, then in my book, The Honeymoon Effect, the last one, it basically says, what happens when you fall in love? That, that moment, that beginning, that very, that rush of the first love, like when you're head over heels, boom, in love. You're just like, you met this person, your life sucked right up until this minute you <laughs> met this person, you meet this person, you fall head over heels in love, you experience what I call the honeymoon effect. I say, what's the honeymoon effect? I say, well, when you find, you go out and ask people who have fallen in love and you say, are you healthy? <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, wow. When I was in love, I was exuberantly healthy. Then I say, did you have a lot of energy? And we all laugh about it because uh, I say, well, you probably made love for days without stopping for food or sleep. That's how much energy you had. And, and then mm -hmm. I say, was life beautiful when you fell in love like that? And it was like, oh, it was so beautiful. I couldn't wait for the next day to have more. And I go, wait a minute. <laughs> Up until this moment, your life sucked. You fell in love, and then you created heaven. It was heaven for that beginning called the honeymoon period. And then it will disappear, which is an understanding. But what was the point? If you had a whole life based on the honeymoon experience, then you would have an entire life based on what you would call heaven. You right. came here, you created it, you manifested what you wanted, you, you were pleased, delighted, and overjoyed by having this planetary experience. And I say, yes, that would be the full manifestation of a belief. What is heaven? Falling in love and being in love with a planet that is so beautiful and with people and everything. And I go, oh my God, people don't realize this, is that we were born into heaven to manifest the, the spirit's mission, desire, intention. Remember, the spirit can have thoughts, but it can't taste the chocolate. It can't see the sunset. Mm. But if it gets into the body, it can. So I say, oh, my God, when you get into the body, you are given a, a earth rover vehicle to manifest what you want. And yet we unfortunately end up with a world that is now in the crisis of extinction. Why? Because even though we're in our own bodies, we're not living the lives that we want to live. That only happens when you fall in love in that first beginning period called the honeymoon effect. Right. And the reason is this. And... Uh, Okay, everybody knows the movie The Matrix. The Matrix is, uh, you say, where, where's that science fiction movie? Oh, there's science fiction department over there. Go get the movie over there. And I say, no, no, The Matrix is not science fiction. The Matrix is a documentary. <laughs> right? Right. We've been programmed. 
And I say, oh, if you take the blue pill, as the movie says, you stay in the program and life is just the way it has always been and will always be that way. And then they say, but if you take the red pill, you get out of the program. And I'll tell you what, when we fall in love and have the honeymoon experience, what is it? It was taking the red pill. For a period of time, you fell in love. Guess what? You stopped playing the program. And when you stop playing the program, you start becoming creative. And when you start becoming creative, you manifest wishes and desires. And I go, yes, that's what the honeymoon effect was. Right. And all of a sudden I say, so here's the truth. We have been programmed. And this program has taken away our power. This program has made us look at this planet rather than the heaven that it can be, as you've experienced if you ever fell in love. Rather than that, when we're in the program, this life is a struggle for survival. It's a Darwinian world of, of uh, survival of the fittest and a competition uh, for fitness, and, and, and we're fighting in a rat race. And I go, that's a belief system, man. Right. <laughs> and when you let go of that belief system, there's a different world, and you're in the same place. Right. And so. So it's interesting because you say, wow, we've been programmed and here now, you know, the, the, this, the joke that's the cosmic joke, but it's not that funny if you think about it. And that is this, for 400 years, the Jesuits have told us, give me a child until it's six or seven and it will belong to the church for the rest of its life. What they've been saying and people didn't even see through the words was give me a child until it's six or seven and I will control its life. That's what it was saying. Right. You'll program it. Right. And that's what we now know in the new biology. The first seven years is programming. So if you get bad programming then and live your life from that program, then you have a sucky life. Right. And, and the idea was, but people have known about programming us and taking away our power. And that's what the programming was. Take away our power. You say, what do you mean? I go, look at people in the world will say something like Bill Gates. Go, oh, wow, he's so powerful. And I say, oh, does that mean he's more powerful than you? And you go, yeah, look, he's got billions of dollars and I'm just trying to pay the rent. And I go, well, how did he become so powerful? How did, where did he get all that power that you don't seem to have? And here's the joke. It's not a good joke. It's not that funny, but here's the joke. We are all equally powerful creators. The difference is that when we've been programmed, we have been programmed to lose our power. So we have a belief in our programming as we grow up that we're frail, vulnerable, shaped by outside forces, we're victims of life, and we buy that story and then we run that program. And guess what? Now we are victims, now we are frail. Oh, you have a diagnosis, you're going to get cancer because you have family cancer? It's like, oh, guess what? You just programmed cancer. Right. You didn't necessarily have it. So. I'm sorry I'm talking so much. No, it's it's <laughs> awesome. I love it. Actually, I want you were talking about falling in love and the honeymoon effect, and I actually wanted to, you know, th in a spiritual sense, you know, some of the highest, you know, spiritual masters have talked have spoken that the spiritual quest is like a love affair with the divine or the source. And so when people sit in meditation and they feel absorbed and they feel like oneness with the universe, is that when like you, you know, because you were talking before about that the source will communicate into the Earth ro Earth land, or Earth rover, and yeah. the Earth rover communicates back. When you meditate and become absorbed in it, is that like, is there some sort of uh, oneness or something that happens at that point that you feel absorbed and you feel blissful? Yeah, because if that's a, here, this is the point that separates you from your body. Because if you say, I am my body, then you are grounded right here in this world with this reality. When you say, wait, I am the driver of this body, and I get into the mind of the driver, ah, now I have different options. Mm. When I was just the vehicle, I'm the, you know, hey, your vehicle's got cancer genes, <laughs> and now you're going to get cancer. It's like, that's not true. That, that's, a, that's an experience that you're manifesting. Mm. Uh, and, and this becomes really very critical. So what was the point? Owning the reality of spirituality is the most important thing you can do in your life. Now, why I say that owning it is this. 
yeah, a lot of people go to church on Sunday and they read out of the book and they hear the sermon. It's like, oh, yeah, spirit, really, 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 spirit, spirit, nice, nice, nice. And then 10 minutes outside of the church, uh, they're back into their non-spiritual world. It's like, no, wait a minute. If you know you're spiritual, then you're spiritual every day, 24 hours a day. Mm -hmm. That means you are, are free to run your vehicle the way you want it and not be the victim of the program. And that's what happened when you fell in love. For the first time in your life, all of a sudden, no matter, you were victim up to that moment and life sucked and everything was fear-based, and then you fall in love. And it's like, oh, whole new world, totally beautiful, everything is wonderful, I am healthy, I am happy, blah, blah, blah. And and, and I think really what's important, Chris, because you touched on it right here, this, this, if I give it to, uh, to us, is falling in love. You think, I'm falling in love with another person. I go, not yet. (laughs) (laughs) Falling in love is first falling in love with yourself. And the reason why this is important, and this this is a critical part, as I said, we've been programmed. And the first seven years, this is our, our, our nervous system is being programmed. And you say, why should I be programmed? The answer is this. Um... How many rules, just think about it this way, how many rules must you, if you were a student and you just came to Earth and you wanted to be a member of a society and a family, a community, and how you interact with everyone, how you interact with adults is different than how you interact with children, how you interact with a cop is different than how you interact with a pedestrian. Uh, All these are nuances of rules of how you behave. Right. And I say, okay, you're an infant. Uh, and I need you to become a member of the family and community. Uh, let's sit down. Here's a book. I got about like 50,000 rules. Um, why don't you sit down and learn these rules? And the idea is that's not possible. (laughs) You can't teach a kid like that. So I say, ah, nature designed the child's nervous system for the first seven years to be in hypnosis. Mm. Uh, and the significance of that is it learns behavior by observing other people. So as a child, you observe your mother, your father, your siblings, your community. Everything you observe in your mind is in hypnosis. Is like your brain is like a video recorder. Everything you observe is being recorded, and you're recording other people's behaviors. Right. So the fundamental behaviors in your mind did not come from you. They came from those people you observed. And and these are the programs in your subconscious mind. And I just need people to recognize, we'll take a jump here. 95% of your behavior in your life comes from the programs in the subconscious mind. If you understand that, then you recognize that 95% of your life is not coming from your personal spiritual wishes and desires. It's coming from the programs you acquired in the first seven years, which again, did not answer your wishes and desires, came from other people, their programs. And so right. we're, not, we're not living our lives. Now, why should we not love ourselves in this, now the crux of the issue? And this, until you get over this, you cannot have the life that you and I understand, Chris, the, this whole spiritual world. You cannot have it until you understand this. And I go, what? I go, when children are learning the programs of how to become part of the family and the community, the parents act like coaches. Like, are you doing this right? Are you doing it wrong? And they right. do the correction factor. And I go, well, here's the interesting thing. Let's say you're a member of a high school sport team and uh, you're outperforming and then the coach comes up and said, hey, listen, you don't deserve that. Who do you think you are? You're not that good at this. What is the coach trying to do? He's he's trying to to goad you into, okay, try harder, work harder. You can do better. Uh, okay. Uh, and if you're conscious enough, you're understanding the coach meaning, come on, you're, you're not really putting your full effort into this. That's what the coach means. Right. I say, okay, now take that coaching concept and let's put it to like a, a four-year-old or a five-year-old who's in a record mode because that's where their brain is. And the parents want the child to do better. So the coach parent says, that's not good enough. Who do you think you are? You don't deserve that. And I go, okay, five-year-old child just heard this from the coach, the parent. Does a five-year-old child understand what the coach means? No. The child's not thinking at this moment. The child's recording. I said, so what did the child just record from that interaction? You're not good enough. You don't deserve things. You're not lovable. I go, whoa. 
So I say, why is it relevant? I go, well, these are now written into your subconscious. And then I go, yeah. And 95% of your life comes from these programs. Then I say, well, then if I look at the programs, can I be satisfied and happy with myself? And I go, no, because all the programs were critical. Right. They were trying to say you weren't good at this and you weren't good at that. So when I'm operating 95% of the time, my mind is saying to me, you're not smart enough, you're not good enough, you're not deserving, and my behavior then becomes programmed by that kind of behavior. Right. So why is that relevant? And the answer is this. When we do a, um, a workshop where we help people change beliefs, one of the first things we do is check in with a belief. Just check uh, all the people in the room. Uh, let's see how you stand on this belief. You say to yourself, I love myself. 80 to 90% of the people in the room will not test positive. Hmm. And you go, what, why is that? And I say, because their programming in their first seven years was so critical of themselves that they're critical of themselves. And as a result, they don't love themselves. Right. And then I say, so what do they want? They want love. And I go, well, how do you get love? Failure way, failure way. I'll get it from somebody else. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I'll say, I'll fall in love with this person. They will give me love. And right. I go, well, is that going to work? And I go, it's not going to work. You know why? Because uh, think it's a funny kind of, you know, cosmic humor in a sense. It's like uh, someone says they love you. Your program says you're not lovable. What would your mind think if someone said to you, I love you, and your program is, how can anybody love me because I am not good, deserving, etc.? Guess what you would think? You would say, oh, that person has no quality control. <laughs> they say they love me, and I know I'm not lovable. Right. So what does it mean? I am deflecting that love that I wanted because I can't accept it. And all of a sudden you realize, oh my God, you want to be in love because that is nature's way. Love is harmony. Love is living in, 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 in balance. And I say, we seek love. And I go, and what's the problem? We're self-critical and we can't accept the love. We can't accept our own love. If you can't love yourself, then by definition, you cannot be in love with somebody else because it's a codependency thing. It says, yeah, you give me love and I'll give you something back <laughs> in exchange. Uh, and that doesn't work. And right. so, yeah, so it doesn't work like that. So, no, you know, the whole, the biology of belief was such a uh, influential book in my, uh, growth as a human being, because I was already on my spiritual path and I, it helped me realize that, um, whatever you believe is true for you. So I always use, sometimes I joke with my wife, like if I believe that, you know, if I wear a yellow baseball cap on Thursdays and point it to the, to the left, I'll be happy all day. And if I really believe that, that's what it would be. And it's kind of like the you know, same thing with religions. You can start a religion, you can do anything and just, it's just a set of beliefs, but the beliefs are so powerful, which you prove, literally prove scientifically in your book. But the meditation practice that I do has a process called cleaning. And, um, and so now I'd like to move, I'd like to ask you about how do we reprogram ourselves and what, so the meditation practice I do, it's called Sahaj Marg. There's a cleaning process where you basically clean away all this junk and you actually, what happens is if you really believe it's happening, then it really is cleaned and you're not hindered by as much of this past programming as, as you would be if you didn't do that. But, but if you do the cleaning and say, oh, I don't know if it's working, I'm not sure, I don't think so, then it doesn't work. That, that's 100% true, Chris. And it's the same thing. Let's just use another word that will be the equivalent to some sense. It's called the placebo effect. Hmm. And the placebo effect is, okay, listen, uh, Chris, I know you got this illness, but I got this new pill greatest newest thing from the pharmaceutical industry. And it's even purple because that makes it even more special. <laughs> and I got this purple pill for you and it's going to take care of your problem. And you believe me that this pill is going to take care of the problem. You take the pill, you get better. And then I tell you, yeah, but it was only a sugar pill. I said, then what made you better? It was your belief that the pill was going to make you better. That's right. called the placebo effect. If I understand that this is, I put that hat on and tilt the brim the exact right way, and that is going to generate happiness, whether it's a sugar pill or a cap on your head, it's still going to manifest the placebo equivalent and change your life based on your belief. Right. So yes, indeed, as you clear through 
the issues in your life that are sabotaging you, uh, then guess what? As they get cleared up, then your life is like you're on the freeway now and you're open and all the lanes are ready to go and you can travel to where you want to go. But when you got those other beliefs in there, there's a traffic jam and you can't get out of that mess until you get those other beliefs off the road. And so your, your idea is 100% right. Now we have uh, two issues to deal with here. Uh, and so let me bring them up. And, sure. and, and the one issue is this is that I said there's uh, the subconscious mind is running at 95% of the time. The subconscious mind is a record playback device. It's got all the programs in there, how to walk, how to get dressed, how to drive a car, how to talk to somebody. These are all programs, right. okay? And I say, uh, but there's a second mind called the conscious mind. The, the one we just talked about is called subconscious. I say, a conscious mind, oh, that's the one that's connected to your personal identity, that broadcast, that connected to your spirituality. Mm -hmm. The conscious mind is unique because it's the latest evolution of the brain. Uh, instead of stimulus response, which is like the subconscious mind, push the button, make the response. The conscious mind is creative. That's the one that has wishes and desires and all those things you want. I go, yeah. I say, ah, oh, wishes and desires, that's what you want out of your life. And I go, this is what happens when you fall in love, that, as I said, normal everyday life, 95% comes from subconscious programs. But when you fall in love, it's like taking the red pill and say, well, what happens then? I say, ah, 90-some percent of your life then comes from the conscious mind, not from the subconscious programs. I go, yeah, but what's the conscious mind? Wishes and desires. And all of a sudden I say, oh, you fall in love. You're not playing the programs, but you're now operating from wishes and desires. Okay. Right. So now I say, okay, how do I know what the programs are? Why? Because they're operating 95% of the time and they're, and, and, and psychologists will tell you that, uh, the, the vast majority of those programs that we acquired in the first seven years of life are disempowering, self-sabotaging and limiting. And I go, then 95% of your life is coming from those programs. And you say, well, boy, I would really love to know what those programs are. But hey, listen, I was being programmed even before I was born. I was still in the womb. I was getting programming. I was getting programming when I was one year old, two years old. And I say, Chris, uh, tell me what you learned when you were one year old. And you go, <laughs> I have no idea. Right. I, wasn't, I wasn't there, really. Yeah. I go, ah, so now we have an issue. I'm telling you, your subconscious is running your life. Most of those programs are negative and disempowering. And yet you don't know what those programs are, most of them, because they were downloaded before you were even aware that you were getting programmed. So then you're left with the big question. Well, how do I know what my programs are? Because if I want to change them, I got to know what they are so I can change them. And then I go, okay, simple resolution, fun fact, mm. simple resolution, okay? Uh, and it really comes down to this 95% of your life comes from the subconscious programs point. Your life is a printout of the programs. Right. And I go, so what does that mean? I say, well, simple, everything that you like that comes easily into your life. Oh, you have a program that allows that to be there mm. in contrast, everything that you're looking for you're working on, you're putting effort in, you're sweating over it to make it happen, you're working to make this happen, and you want it, but you're working on it. I say, why are you working so hard? Mm. And the answer almost inevitably is, ah, that thing you're trying to get, and you have trouble getting to it, the reason why, you have a program that doesn't support that. Right. So all of a sudden I say, oh, good, then what are my programs? Everything you like that comes in and you want and it happens to you, yeah, you got those programs. Everything you don't like that happens to you and it looks like, oh, nature's against me, fate is against me. And it's like, no, it's not. <laughs> right? It's your unconscious program is against you. I was just going to ask you about that fate and destiny. Some people say, oh, God wants me to do this or, uh, you know, right? Yeah. It's just programming. It's a total program. Yeah. And, and, and again, why would you have been programmed to be disempowered? The answer is because if I'm programming you and I disempower you and I don't disempower me, what's the result? I am the powerful human and you are not. Mm. And that's why the vast majority of people are disempowered. They're disempowered because some people are taking advantage of them. I'll give you an example in biology and then we'll do a religion one. Mm. Uh, example of disempowerment in biology is genes control your life. 
I said, why is that disempowering? Because I said, oh, genes control your fate, your characteristics, cancer, diseases, and all that. Genes control that. I go, uh, and what's the story? I said, well, as far as you know, you didn't pick the genes. And you get these genes, and they control you, and you don't control them. Mm. Then your fate is not in your hands. You, by definition, you're a victim Mm. of your heredity. Oh, I got cancer coming. Why? I didn't even get it yet, but it's running in my family. So Angelie Jolie will cut her breasts off because, oh, my God, my mom had cancer and my grandmom had cancer and I don't want cancer. So I'm a victim. I will cut my breasts off. Well, this is totally false because the new science is not genetics. It's called epigenetics. And it reveals that our perceptions of the environment are what control our genetics. And I go, well, what's relevant about that? And I said, well, you can change your perception and therefore change your genetics. And I say, why is this new science powerful? Because it says you're not a victim of your genes. You're the master of your genes. Change your belief system. Placebo effect. I could heal myself because I believe so. Uh, uh, And I say, oh, so the old story was I'm a victim. And then, and I, because I'm a victim of my genes, what do I have to, what do victims need? A rescuer. Oh, who's the rescuer? Pharmaceutical industry. Mm. Oh, man, huh. uh, you got a problem, but guess what? You pay them money and they will give you a drug. And my friend just got uh, a, a drug for his hepatitis $1,000 a pill. Oh. $1,000 a pill, it's going to take like 87 pills to go through the, the complete treatment. $87,000 for 87 pills. And I go, wow, that, you're a victim of your hepatitis, and, and now you're paying the drug company for this pill, and it may or may not work. Mm. <laughs> okay, so, wow. and again, that's a lot of placebo effect. <laughs> 80, $87,000, like, if it's going to cost that much, it better damn well work. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> okay, and then I go, okay, so now let me do another one. Mm. I get a religion, and I tell you that your spirit is disconnected from God. But if you want, you're a victim uh, because you can't talk to God, but we can talk to God for you. (laughs) And therefore, if you pay me some money, $87,000, I will make sure that no matter all the sins that you have, you will still be able to go to heaven. (laughs) And I go, oh, oh my God, that's another, another person taking advantage of what? Something that I am spiritual. You cannot take me away from God. I'm a piece of God. Every one of us is a piece of God. How can you take that away from me? How can you charge me for that? (laughs) And and the simple result is if you believe me, if you believe me and I program you for seven years, you will pay 10% to me for the rest of your life and a little bit more if you do something really bad. (laughs) And, 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 And the idea is what? Another case of disempowering you and then having you pay for something that you can do better than they can do. Right. Your body can heal yourself better than the pharmaceutical industry, and your spirituality can heal your life and make your life better than anybody else wearing a, a black coat, let's say, that will tell you how to have a good life. You are the one. As a matter of fact, the Gnostics. And, and that was early when the church was taking power over the planet. The Gnostics, there were millions of them, were believers that you don't need a, any interface between you and God. You can talk to God directly. And they had women priests and all kinds of stuff like that. They were really far out. They were people who believed that you can be in direct communication with God. Well, the church was like, uh-oh, what'd they do? They killed them all. The first Holocaust, they killed millions of Gnostics. Why? Because they were avoiding the system. They got outside the system. Right. They were starting to wield some power for themselves. Right. And that's not—if I make you powerless, then you need me. And, and this is why, for me, A, the new biology, I am empowered because I control my genes. I am not a victim of my genes. B, I'm empowered because I am spiritual, and I connect with my own source, which is the all that is. And as a result, I don't need to pay anybody in between me and there. <laughs> right. right. So uh, I wonder why maybe you can answer. Um, you know, some people have never heard this type of talk before. 
or they're not even open to these ideas. And that's one thing. And the fact that they don't become empowered is it's obvious. They're still wallowing in their whatever they're wallowing in their their subconscious programming. But some people hear these messages that you and I are talking about and they kind of get it intellectually, but they're still not able to shake off the programming. I mean, is it, it, it there's there must be some fear there. Is it like, oh, I'm stepping out onto my own and I'm going to be persecuted because I'm empowered? No, oh no, it's it's actually a misunderstanding of a biological mechanism because uh, well this th- now I can give you a biological mechanism, then it will make sense, mm. okay? And it goes like this. I said there were two minds. Subconscious mind is 90% of the brain, and it is a record playback device. That's what it does. Records programs, plays them back. The 10% of the brain uh, uh, that's called the prefrontal cortex, it's right behind your forehead, is where the conscious mind is. Ah, I say, oh, yeah, that's the one connected to my spirituality. We used to say the mind, one thing. And I go, no, no, no. The mind is two separate elements that work together. The conscious mind and the subconscious mind have different ways of learning and different behaviors. And we used to just put them together. Mm. Point. Oh, my conscious mind just heard that I am in control of my life. And my subconscious mind has a program that the genes control my life. And I go, well, oh, now that my conscious mind learned this, I guess my subconscious mind should know this as well. That's the belief. Mm. I learned something. I read the self-help book. I went to the lecture. I saw the video. I listened to Chris's show and I heard this information. The conscious mind being creative just takes one hearing. I heard it and my conscious mind goes, oh, okay, I can accept that. Oh, I read the book. Oh, I can accept that. Right. And I go, good. Then the conscious mind becomes super educated. I go, does that information in the conscious mind then just translate and correct the subconscious program? The answer is absolutely not. Mm. And that's where the problem comes from. Our conscious minds get super educated. Oh, my God, if I do this and I do that, my life would be really great. How come I know this and my life sucks? (laughs) And I go, because you're not operating from the conscious mind. The only time you do that is like when you fall in love. Right, when you're completely present. Right. So I say, then you're operating from the subconscious. You go, well... How come my subconscious mind didn't change? And I go, ah, the two minds learn in different ways. As I said, the conscious mind's creative. You can read a self-help book. I give you a test. You get 100%. Yep, your conscious mind understood everything in that book. And I go, and what about subconscious mind? I go, "Uh -uh. uh-uh. How does it learn? This is critical. The subconscious mind learns basically by two fundamental ways, and yet there's a new, very exciting thing. Okay, the two fundamental ways. First seven years... How did your subconscious learn programs? The answer was, it was in a state of hypnosis. It just bypassed consciousness. Whatever you observed didn't go into the conscious mind. It just was recorded like a video program in the subconscious mind. Mm -hmm. So if you're in hypnosis, uh, information can be passed directly into the subconscious. But after age seven, the brain is not in that way anymore. After age seven, the subconscious learns by repetition, making a habit. Mm -hmm. I say... Uh, how many times did you have to say the ABCs before you could get the Z? Oh, every time you started, you get to a certain point, then you go, oh, no. Oh, okay. What was the Oh, M, N. Okay. Start all over again. A, B, C, D. Get it to M, N, O, P. Oh, what's next? And I go, how many times you repeated that? You repeated it, but guess what? The time you got from A to Z correctly and were able to do it, you never had to do it again mm. because you repeated it. You made it a habit. You drive a car. The first day you got in a car, you didn't know how to drive a car. How'd you drive a car? You practiced Mm. and you repeated it and you repeated it. Today you get in the car. You don't even think about any of the details that you did the first day you got in the car and looked at with all that conscious attention out the window, (laughs) the mirrors, looked at the gauges, all that stuff. And I go, today you, you get in the car, you put the key and you're thinking about where you're going. You're not even paying attention. I say, okay, why is it relevant? So the two fundamental ways the subconscious mind learns are A, hypnosis and B, repetition. I say, okay, I read a self-help book. My conscious creative mind understood it. One reading. I say, and did the subconscious mind change? I go, no. Why not? Well, 
if I read it maybe a dozen times, maybe my subconscious mind through repetition would have learned it, but I read it once. Mm. Uh, my, sub, my conscious mind got it, my subconscious mind didn't get it. If I was in hypnosis and read the book, I would get it in one time. What's the point? And this is where we're trying to get to, if I could shorten my own breath here. Chris. <laughs> <laughs> the point is simply this. The conscious mind being creative learns easily. Everything we're talking about on this show right now, a listener can say, yep, I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it. And I say, great, did your life change? And the answer is no. Why? 95% of your life is not coming from that conscious creative mind. It's coming from the program mind. I go, ah, the subconscious didn't change the program just because I heard this show. <laughs> it's still got it. So that's where we get so frustrated. I know all the right things to do, but my life is still exactly the same. And I go, right, because while you've educated the conscious mind, it only operates uh, less than 5% of the time that your, su your subconscious is working 95% of the time. So you educated this beautiful conscious mind and you're not using it. You're using the subconscious and that did not change. And that is called frustration. Yeah. I know the right thing. I, how come I'm still in the same place? And the answer is because you didn't change the mind that needed to be changed. And I got to add the last one just so people understand. There's a new kind of uh, uh, programming called energy psychology. And it's a way of in, inducing a super learning experience in the subconscious mind. And it's so critical. You, you know, there's an old saying, necessity is the mother of invention. And it's interesting because we're facing an extinction right now. Our world is in an upheaval. We are destroying ourselves. What does it mean? We need to change fast. <laughs> I don't have a lot of time. So the necessity to change fast leads to, guess what, a new type of belief change programming called energy psychology. There are many different modalities, and you can change a belief you had that's been limiting you your whole life, 50 years. You can change it in about 10 minutes if you understand these modalities. Uh, just so I give people an insight so they know where to go. Look on my website, simple, brucelipton.com. Under resources, there's a whole session of uh, uh, websites that uh, are all different forms of energy psychology. If you go look at that, you can they're all work to some degree. You can find one that, that feels good to you. That's the one I would use. But why, is, why am I telling you this? Your conscious mind has your wishes and desires. It only works 5% of the time. Your subconscious mind's got the programs. The programs are limiting. You want to change your life. You can educate the conscious mind in minutes, but you really have to, to change that life. You must rewrite the subconscious programs. And the most important ones to rewrite are the ones that take away self-love the ones that have been critical of you. You must be able to look in that mirror and go, I love you. I so appreciate you. Because if you can do that, then you are free to open up and create a life filled with love. But if you can't love yourself, then you will always be searching for love, but never fully experience it. Because the only way you can fully experience it is to understand what love is to yourself. And then you can have a love experience. So Boy, I said a whole bunch of right? different things there, Chris. <laughs> yeah, this has been awesome. Well, it reminds me of those noble gases in uh, in the honeymoon effect. I just finished the honeymoon effect. It's a great book. Uh, Biology Believe. It's one of my favorites. You know, Bruce, my wife and I have an organization called Pause Your Life. It's for people who want to hit the pause button on their life and go on a weekend retreat. And I think we should, in, sometime in the future, do one of them based on reprogramming subconscious mind. And, and maybe you could be involved too somehow. That'd be awesome. I, I would love to because that is the entire secret of regaining full power over your life. And, and when you understand that, as I said, hey, that honeymoon experience for most people lasted days, weeks, you know, a month is really good. But by a year, man, that, that, that's history. And the yeah. fact was this, wouldn't it be exciting to live that honeymoon every day of your life for as long as you live. Every day you wake up and say, oh my God, I'm so lucky to be here, to have this relationship, this experience, this ex planet with its beauty and joy and happiness. And imagine that as an everyday experience. And the answer <laughs> is, well, it's totally possible. The only thing that's getting in your way are the limitations of the subconscious programs. Wow, this has been great. Literally, Bruce, I had about 
30 questions. I, I think I may have asked you one. I, everything was <laughs> off the cuff. It was just brilliant. I don't know. Maybe we can talk again. But thank you so much for coming on The Mystic Show and sharing all your experience and your research. And, and it's really inspiring to all of us to, to hear someone like you who has, you know, really piercing truth and, and really finding out what's real and, and then, then empowering all of us to build our beliefs on that, what's real. So seriously, thank you so much for coming on. I, I want to thank you. And I, I really, Chris, I want to especially thank your audience because that's, that's the, you know, the people that will make evolution on this planet. And if they understand who they are and empower themselves, then we, we have a really wonderful opportunity to move from where we are now into a planet that's not based on survival, but based on thriving, that we can move into a heaven on earth. And all of us can do that once we get rid of the program. Sounds awesome. Thanks again, Bruce. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Yep. So, and thank you for listening. Uh, I don't have much to follow up on all that we talked about. I think I'm going to have to listen to this episode myself again and take some notes. And um, I hope you understood a lot of this. And I hope we can all take some of these things and try to implement them in our lives. You know, take take advantage of Bruce's uh, resources page on brucelipton.com. I'll have links to all of Bruce's books and all his stuff on, um, on the show post for this episode. So thanks again to Bruce Lipton. Thank you for listening. We'll be with you next time here on The Mystic Show. And as always, keep shining.